Good morning, all, and welcome to this week's episode of the CEO MomCast. I have with me Rebecca Bender, social advocate, specialist in human trafficking, and the list really goes on and on. You have (laughs) many different initiatives, different businesses going on, um, tons of travel. Anyways, I'm going to hand it over to you so you can tell us a little bit about yourself and the Rebecca Bender Initiative. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We we do do a lot of things. It's so funny. Sometimes I'm like, wow, this is um, when someone gets our bio, it feels like the ones that your mom writes for you, right? Your mom's like saying all the great, <laughs> and I think, who wrote these? So I, I'm glad you didn't need to read that because it goes on and on. Um, I think like most people that are probably listening in, most of, of your listeners, we all juggle a lot of things and we have businesses that are are helping you know, pay our bills and we have hobbies and we have passions and we have side hustles and we have boards we're a part of and things in the community that we're a part of. And so I'm no different. That's exactly what we do. We run a nonprofit called the Rebecca Bender Initiative. It has two programs, Equip and Elevate. Equip trains first responders on how to identify and investigate human trafficking. And then Elevate is our online school that helps survivors of human trafficking get job ready after they're able to escape. And so that's what takes up the majority of of my time. Um, I also love, I'm a storyteller, so I love to write books and um, produce different you know, series or shows or work on documentaries with other team members and other nonprofits. So kind of dabbling in a lot of varying ways to tell story. And something exciting. I know when I was trying to book with you, I was trying to book for September and your assistant said to me, oh, she's in LA. She's recording a TV show. And I was like, what? So (laughs) I took a quick little peek at, and so there's going to be a TV show about your life? There, we filmed a pilot um, with Showtime that's based on my my memoir, and okay. I don't know that it's going to go to full series. Um, those TV is one of those industries that you just never know. It's like hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And so, um, at this time, we're we're still trying to figure out you know where it's going to land and how many episodes, if any, and. So far, filming the pilot was really fun. It was a lot of incredible experience with a huge, talented cast and crew. And I'm so honored to even got this far. And And we'll see where it goes from here. You know, doors open for a reason and, and doors shut for a reason. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about Rebecca Bender and why you started your organization. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> so I am a survivor of human trafficking. I was... Um, lured off a college campus when I was 18 and by a guy that pretended to be my boyfriend. I was a single teen mom trying to figure out how to put myself through school. I wasn't yet enrolled in the university, but I was living at an apartment near campus, just doing kind of community college. And it was um, a really hard season in my life. I think anyone who's been a young mom, a single young mom knows how hard that is. And you just don't know anything at 18, 19 years old. You, You sure think you do. Right. <laughs> but man, looking back now in my 40s, I'm like, you are a baby. You're a baby raising a baby. And so, um, yeah, it was just I had a lot of vulnerabilities from my childhood, as as all of us do, even from a quote unquote good home. Um, <clears throat> my parents divorced when I was nine. It was a pretty ugly divorce, a lot of mental health and substance abuse in the home. And so I just had moments of feeling really, un- really unimportant and really alone. Um, you know, my mom trying to figure out how to be a single mom herself and, you know, make ends meet. 
after the divorce and my dad, uh, who had started drinking, lost his job. And so it was just a lot of tumultuous, um, kind of you're on your own at 10, figure it out. And that, that caused a lot of wounds for me as, as I grew up and, and then became my own single mom, feeling that figure it out on your own, um, hit really deeply for me and, and feeling unwanted and unimportant. Um, especially now being kind of the girl with the baby, uh, you don't, get to go after kind of the things and the dreams and the desires that you, that, you know, the people around you, your friends, your community are doing. And so it's just really isolating, um, which makes you a vulnerable target for, for traffickers. And so I was, I fell hard and fast in love with a young man who pretended to be my boyfriend and pretended to want to be a family with me and my daughter. And uh, I was naive and a lot of red flags in hindsight, but after six months of dating me, I moved in with him. And that's when things uh, took a radical change. And I ended up getting trafficked for nearly six years, uh, bought and sold between three different traffickers. I was um, hospitalized for dehydration and overexhaustion. I've had my face broken in multiple places. I uh, became addicted to drugs by 21. I was a full-blown addict. Um, I been to jail a lot for prostitution related charges because that's where trafficking takes place is in the commercial sex industry and it just was really hard it was a really really hard time of my life i i became obviously very depressed and i um, even tried to take my own life and and then when i in 2006 the feds raided one of my traffickers homes um for they had been surveillancing him for money laundering and that allowed me for an eventual avenue for escape. It wasn't like the movies where they kick down the door and they wrap a blanket around you and help rescue you. It's not at all like that. Hence why I try to work now a little bit in the entertainment industry, because I think it's a really <laughs> great tool to help pe shape people's perception of the issue. Um, so it took a little while after the raid, my trafficker signed a plea deal on a tax evasion charge, and I knew that I'd have one year um, that he would be gone and that I'd have to figure out how to get out of this and how to rebuild my life with nothing but a lot of trauma and the same vulnerabilities that got me trafficked in the first place, right back to being a single mom, right back to trying to figure out how to either get back into school and now you're in your late 20s. Um, and now it's compounded with complex PTSD and trauma and criminal record and gap in job history and just all the things that, you know, you've had almost a decade of your life is, has been stolen from you. And you don't have the internships, right? In your first year in college, you don't have professors or mentors or community groups. Um, you don't even really have a group of friends. And, you know, I was talking about this with a survivor friend of mine recently. It's like, you're, you're quote unquote normal now. And, you know, you have a partner or you're dating or, or, and they're out doing things with friends and it hits you that you don't have like your college friends and that doesn't exist for people like me. And, and still how sometimes it can be kind of isolating because then your only circle becomes the work that you do, which then also is rooted in your trauma, right? And so it's like, do you ever get to leave the trauma narrative? <laughs> so that's, that's a little bit of my story. I know that's a lot fire hosed at, at everybody. <laughs> and I know that we'll get into some questions, but that's what prompted me to start my nonprofit to help law enforcement really see us and help us get out and to help survivors rebuild when it's time. And so that's why our two programs kind of bookend um, the life cycle of a survivor. Okay. I didn't realize that your daughter had gone through all of this with you. Yeah. She's 23 now. She was, um, gosh, she was probably seven in 06. 
She was born in 99. So what is that? I'm never good at math. That's why I always give estimates. I'm like, I was about, I honestly don't. I'm like, was it April or January? That'll make a difference in my age. I don't remember which month it was. Um, she was, she was seven when we, when the feds came, I threw her over a fence, um, in my backyard and, and then I ran. Yeah. It's a long story. I'm like, get the book. It's long. You watch the show. It's a long, long story. Right, what do we have time right. for, for in this interview? So lots of, lots of twists and turns. Yeah. Please watch the show, read the book. <laughs> okay, great. Now, um, so your organization, you did t touch on both the programs that you run. Um, did you, you started out with the training of law enforcement and then developed Elevate to help the traffickers kind of, I don't want to use the term move on with life because you can't really move on from something like this, but I guess evolve. Yeah, the traffic victims. To clarify, I don't help traffickers. I help the victims right. of trafficking. Sorry, sorry. No, yes, just, I knew. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Um, yeah, I think obviously your podcast is for CEO moms, and so I think anyone listening knows when you have, as a serial entrepreneur myself, um, when you have an idea, it's kind of like where do you begin and where will this evolve to, and how do you evaluate and course correct along the way to get your best ROI, right? Like that's, that's the goal. And so, um, what, what's most people might not know about kind of my story is my trafficker had actually started a business. I helped him start a business that he was, albeit laundering money through, but nonetheless, I, he had an idea and I created the prototype for his idea. I got it patented turned it into an LLC and got it into 17 stores while being trafficked. Wow. Yeah. That then he ended up um, using as a front. I mean, there was some small amount of profit brought into the, that's, that's how money laundering works, right? As it's right. looks appears as the surface is a legitimate business and perhaps there is some amount, but, but then um, you launder money through it. Now I get to teach banks how to identify these potential warning signs. So it's been turned around for good things, but um, after I was able to escape, I started an ultrasound center and then I sold that to go into nonprofit work. And, um, so I've done several kind of businesses along the way. And so it all, they all start the same. You start with an idea, you see a need and you try to meet that need with either a service or a product. And, um, and then you try to figure out how to do it, right? How am I, and, and, and then see where it grows from there. So my original goal was to just kind of sound the alarm that trafficking was taking place in small communities across America. This was not just an overseas issue. This was not just a big city issue. Trafficking has taken place in every single state in the, in the US in communities that most people don't expect. It does not look like people think it looks. It's not a white minivan and a missing child. Um, it can happen right under your nose as a parent, right in your own home. You're, you're, we're teaching our kids to watch out for strangers. Meanwhile, they're chatting with strangers online every day. And almost every case that I work as a trafficking expert all starts online. Every single one starts online. And so I don't think we're teaching our kids the right things. And so that's how it started for me is I just wanted to sound the alarm. And as that, as I told my story publicly, anywhere that would hear me, I started the high school, I, I joke the old folks home, not really, but like I'll anywhere someone would want to hear, I'd tell. And through that, um, I started realizing that I, I could teach law enforcement specifically how better to look at money laundering cases, how better to interpret this culture of exploitation that's kind of this hidden underground criminal world uh, and work really as an interpreter 
And so I took my story and I pulled out areas of training that I thought would be really helpful for investigations. And that just started blowing up, which I didn't expect. And so that's where I started leaning into. And um, now year to date, I've trained over 115,000 law enforcement officers, FBI, Homeland Security, Secret Service, CIA, vice schools, police academies. And I work as a subject matter expert reviewing case files and evidence from district attorneys or U.S. attorneys all across the country, reviewing body cam footage, um, unfortunately, sometimes dead body footage as well, like trafficking and murder happens together. And so there's just a lot that um, is really hard work. It's really, really hard work. And something that makes me so grateful that I lived this life, I can step in and see some of this evidence and text messages or body cam footage or video footage in a way that maybe an officer would never see. I see little things, little clues with body language or or communication um, that are being missed. And that helps lead to justice for the victims and ensures that other people aren't victimized. So I'm really grateful, but that's kind of how it started. And now 15 years later has led into this really key program within our nonprofit of how are we helping communities across America, specifically departments that are really under um, resourced uh, on this crime that's still kind of new for them. There's not like HT units in most cities. You know, we have SVU, we've got gangs, we've got narcotics, but HTU, human trafficking units, are very, very new in our communities. And so um, those departments need help. And that's that's kind of what we're doing. That's awesome. And that kind of wraps up my next question too. What kind of results have you seen? You did kind of cover all of that. Um, let's lead to more towards Elevate. Um, when you started that, uh, I don't want to say it was enrollment low, but have you seen it grow over the years since you have become more of a mainstream name? Like, you know, you Google you, lots of things come up. Um, if you're finding lots of participation in Elevate. Yeah, it's so it's so crazy. I love talking to other business women because we get, you know, like we get this where it's like, I started just sounding the alarm. I realized that there was a call to action that people were looking for. And so I leaned in to kind of tweak my service. Um, and as I did that and my law enforcement trainings grew and so did kind of the marketing of that and we were getting lots of news and um, and things were happening around that survivors of trafficking started to reach out to me directly and say, how did you do that? Like, how did you take your story and turn it into a training? And how did you get your trainings out there to people? And like, where did you look for conferences? And what happens with payment? And how much can you charge? And what do your contracts look like? And what are taxes like? And right, and all these questions that started um, surfacing. And at the time I was finishing getting my degree online because I still lived in my small farm town where there wasn't really any big universities. And I had this moment when I thought, if I can get a master's online, I could mentor online. And how can I help these other survivors that also want to use their voice? Like we hear this phrase all the time in anti-trafficking. It's like, be a voice for the voiceless. And it's, it's like, yeah, or pass us the mic because we have voices that are not being heard and like we're, we're not being invited to seats at the table. And, and so how can I help other survivors find a seat in their own community and, and, and use their story in a way that's going to feel like all of this wasn't for nothing and that we can use this for good. 
And so I started this online school. I wrote a 16 week curriculum. I looked at what technology my school was using. It was called Moodle at the time. And I thought, how much is Moodle? I thought maybe I could save it up on my own or use some of my speaking honorarium to invest in this technology. And lo and behold, it was free. Moodle was free. And I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah, so I just wrote the 16 week, which was at the time what a traditional semester is. I realize now it's much too long for single moms that are also full-time working (laughs) moms. Um, 16 weeks is too long of a commitment, so we've shortened it substantially. Um, But that's kind of how it started. The 16 weeks was really on just learning how to tell your story with purpose, finding a specialty, and then kind of the business around how to do it. And I started with five. I just put it out on Facebook, like, hey, starting this survivor mentoring program if you want to learn how to tell your story in a business way. And um, it was on Skype and Moodle. And I laugh now because we've come so far with technology. COVID's helped a lot, but we didn't didn't have that. We didn't have that um, blessing, lack of better words, the blessing of technology advancement because of a pandemic we didn't have back in 2014. So started with five and now we have um, 1,200 students in 16 countries spanning over 580 U.S. cities. That is amazing. It's shocking. I'm sure it is. I'm sure you never anticipated that. No. And then I had to, you know, put on a a direct, a development hat really quickly in terms of fundraising and figure out how am I going to hire teachers that are not just me? That's how do we do program? How do I do operations? I mean, 1200 students in an online school is substantial. And And so that was a lot of work for me was learning. It's almost like you hear the phrase, you grow too quickly, like you blow up, sometimes you can topple over. And and it definitely was really close to that. A couple of years in a row, it felt like I can't keep up with the growth. I don't have the funding to hire someone that can figure out just standard operating procedures that apply with the ethical components of mentoring. I don't like I'm, I joke, my trafficker didn't teach me this. I'm literally being thrown into not just the deep end, but like the ocean. And it's like, figure it out. And I made a lot of mistakes and I dropped the ball in so many areas. And and I didn't lead well in that season because it's so um, stressful. And none of us operate our best under stress, right? We're snappy, we're agitated. Um, And as a visionary, anyone listening knows, like you want things to move quicker than they actually ever really do. You're like, it's been three weeks. Why is the prototype not ready? You're like, that's a six month turnaround, you know? So it just was learning a lot about myself along the way and trying to grow personally, as well as just create the the bare minimum to sustain the growth until we could raise the funds that could bring in the professional. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. And um, I think I hit burnout twice in that time where it was um, like on, on edge of mental breakdown burnout, where it's like, I can't sustain at this level. Um, there has to be some change in my life. And so, yeah, it's so much, it's all so much to learn. I know <laughs> I'm, I'm sharing all these just cause I'm hoping people can empathize. with it. Right. Right. No. And you honestly did take on a lot. Now you said you finished your degree. Did you end up getting like a business background? So you had a little bit of backing in what you were doing. Girl. No, I wish I did. <laughs> Shoot. My master's is in biblical studies. I have no clue why. Oh. It's, it's a long story. You know, personally, I felt this real like pilgrimage to figure out, is there a power greater than myself that I lived when others died in this world of exploitation? And it ate at me when I first escaped. Um, Like, why me? Why did I live? Why did I get out? And that was a real core purpose driving question for me. 
um, right. that led me on my own spiritual pilgrimage that took me into seminary. But I don't use my degree at all other than my own personal meditation time. <laughs> so, I mean, university on its own is a lot of work. And if you don't enjoy what you're taking, you're never going to get there. So, I mean, this is from me, the serial education guru. My husband says I'll never finish a degree because I just go from one thing to the next. <laughs> but I mean, you did something you enjoyed. I did. And I really loved it. I loved learning more about things I didn't know about. And it caused me to question a lot more than it had answers. But you know, I did get something of it. I will say I wrote my very first Bible study this year. It came out in April. Um, it's nothing to do with trafficking, nothing to do with business, but just was kind of the, for me, it was a, a book and a study on how I break, broke some habits in my life and, and just the character that I came out of trafficking with. Um, I wanted to give people some, some hope because when you live through that kind of crazy trauma, you can't help but come out with some character flaws. Right, you, you can't and and I know it's hard because you're a victim of a crime um, and so you don't want to like self blame by any means and that's not what I'm doing, but I thought about like you know I lived through a fire for six years i'm going to smell like smoke i'm going to have some habitual patterns and behaviors that probably aren't the healthiest. And I need to be self aware enough to identify what those are, so that then I can go get the coaching or the counseling to change some of those behaviors. Um, you know, lying on my food stamp application when I first got out of trafficking. I did that because I only had been taught how to cover up what I was doing. That's what I was taught for six years. And so that's what my first response was. Um, and, and I have empathy for people that are in a similar situation because you're just doing what you've been taught for so long. And it's, it takes someone coming in and saying, hey, you don't have to do it this way anymore. And how do you create some new habits in your life? And that process even though that's not at all what I do in terms of like a spiritual side of what I do in my work at, in any means, that what I learned along that journey has helped me today to create new habits, new disciplines, new self-control that are leading to the businesses that I want to grow in. That's awesome. And like I said, so even though you think it has nothing to do with what you do in a business, it, it's helped you in the long run. Yeah. And I think all of us have transferable skills. At the end of the day, we all have a story. We've all been through right. something. You've been through something. Every listener here has been through something. We all have a couple habits that we wish we could change a little <laughs> bit that we're all working on. I just think we're all a lot more alike than we are different. And, and all of it's transferable and all of it's usable into the next season and the next things that you want to grow into. So what is next for your organization in the next couple of years? What are some goals that are going on right now? You know, personally, I really love um, tell. I love I love the entertainment industry. I've loved um, being on set as an executive producer for the pilot was so much fun. Um, editing scripts, casting, making sure wardrobe and set location is going to give our world something other than taken. As an example, is is really what is burning in my belly, and so. I'm excited to um, co-direct a film with A21 this year, and I have another project coming up for a potential docu-series. And so for me personally, what that means is how do you create a really great succession plan um, that's gonna allow an executive director to come in and run your school in a way that it's like, I tried the training and I tried the mentoring and they're working, but now how do I hand it off well? 
how do you hand it off to your leadership? What, what does it mean to raise up, you know, your directors and, and how does this work as a founder? And will I get founder syndrome? And how do I help um, maintain connection with donors as a founding board member that still wants to operate in some other areas? And so for me, that's kind of the transition season I'm finding myself in just being really, you know, open to looking behind the curtain of of my life and our and our company and again hopes that people can empathize and and feel like yeah how do you do that and my answer is if you know please email us and tell me some <laughs> tips on <laughs> it's like reading all the books try to get the coaching um not that i want to leave forever i still want to be a part of what we do um but i know i have other interests and goals after 15 years i've been doing this 15 years it's a long time I've been telling my story and training and speaking for 15 years, and I'm ready to use a different um, artistic medium to tell the story and not just mine, but to tell lots of survivor stories, lots of women's stories of empowerment. And so that's kind of where we're at. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. It's as you know, you go through the first door and then you'll see what the next one's open from there. It's not always this laid out blueprint. I've tried that and it doesn't ever (laughs) tend to work that exact way. I think it's great, though, that, I mean, we're all constantly evolving and needing to try different things. I remember reading something that, you know, I don't consider myself a millennial, older than that, but millennials these days will have like five to six different jobs because we're ever-changing and wanting to do new things and nobody wants a stagnant life anymore. So I think it's very important for your personal development. And I also think it's great that you reference taken every time my daughter goes outside by herself. My son, my husband's like, I swear to God, I will Liam Neeson if that girl disappears. And I, that's everybody's reference point for it, right? Exactly. That's why we know entertainment's powerful. Cause if everyone right. in the world is referencing taken and taken is not a realistic depiction of exploitation, then we've got to make a new taken. We've got to make right. a new one. And so that's really my goal is to try to make a new taken. That's, that's my new mission. That's the mission I'm on. Um, yeah, if people know any, you know, we're trying to do it now. So, but I I love what you said about being a millennial. I, I always say we're an elder millennials. We're probably, you know, we're, (laughs) I'm an elder millennial, Um, but that's part of what we teach in the school too, is when you do have lots of gigs, what does that look like tax wise? And are you, how do you structure your LLC or, or an S corp for yourself in order to ensure that you're, um, building? and and able to put things into your company's growth and you know those are things i think young people don't always think about and it's not just young people it's anyone that's moving from um, a traditional work environment to maybe contract work and um which is where a lot of people are heading and so we get to teach a lot of this in our business class with survivors of trafficking because they get the same you know survivors are reached out to often and they'll say like hey, can you consult on this project? Or can you review this? Or could you drop in and help with this crisis call? And survivors will reach out to us and go, how do I, what do I charge? And I love doing this, but I also can't like live homeless and work for free. Like, don't we all wish that we could just work for free and live a philanthropy volunteer life? Like we all do, but it's not, it's not realistic. And so helping survivors figure out like, well, how do you make this into a consulting firm then? And what are some rates and how do you structure it? And so that's a lot of what we do in our business course. We have we have seven classes that we offer now through our school. It's not just my one long semester. We have seven shorter ones now and survivors can pick um, what classes they want to take that works for where they want to grow into. 
I think that's amazing because you're teaching practical skills. Yeah, we always need volunteers to teach skills. So if anyone ever is interested in helping survivors learn, we we love to put some some mentorship for professional women together and sponsor a survivor to go through school. Obviously, we'll do all the plugs. All you business ladies know that (laughs) all the plugs, donate, sponsor a survivor, volunteer. (laughs) There we go. Just say it sporadically throughout the podcast. I'll get the hint by the end of it. (laughs) We're just going to switch gears a little bit, Rebecca. Um, You have how many daughters now? I have four daughters. You have four daughters. So how is juggling motherhood and running your organization? Oh, for a long time, uh, I'm recently divorced. And so splitting um, time is a whole new ball game. And so I don't know that I have enough experience to give any advice on that right now. I will share what how it was in the in the first 12 years of this. I will say caveat, there's always three things I tell people I never teach on, parenting, marriage, and boundaries, because I clearly, <laughs> no, it's always the lessons of what you what you wish you would have done different, right? But with my parenting, um, juggling in the beginning of starting a company um, with with little ones especially was really hard. And it took a lot of, um, for me, it took a lot of time batching. So I'm not sure if other people do this or they're familiar, or maybe this will be a tip for someone listening, but I had to get really, really serious about my schedule. Um, I had to schedule in 15 minutes to send out these three important emails. I mean, that 15 minutes got put in my calendar. And because I knew I'm sitting in the carpool lane and I've got 15 minutes before I pick up my kids and not carpool, car pickup, right? Those long lines we all very aware of that you want to scream at someone, but you know, you'll see them tomorrow. So you can't those ones. Like if I can try to take advantage of every moment that I have in the beginning of, of building and get really good about scheduling, um, then I can get more done. And so that was the beginning. And and that meant a lot of, um, little things throughout the day and, and having to schedule meetings around school pickup and pediatricians and orthodontists and soccer and violin and right like all the things and track practice and and just trying to learn um trying to learn really efficient ways like i can remember needing to read a document that had this really you know really intense deadline um and i had to also drive two hours to get my daughter to hurdle practice my oldest my 23 year old now at the time um she's a hurdler she actually she just signed a pro track and field she signed pro. She's a pro athlete, which is insane. Wow. I know. Crazy. But she's on a full ride at um, Texas A&M right now. It's her, she's in grad school. It's her very last year. She doesn't have eligibility to run for NCAA, so she signed pro, which is awesome. Um, but during high school was when I was really building my company, and so I would drive her two hours one way to private hurdle practice and then drive back, but I really needed that time to do work. And so I looked up um, technology on how to have – documents read to me. Um, I, I kind of had this idea of like, there are, there are um, disabled people, people who have blindness that are still going to school and still actively reading books. And so like, how can you take PDF documents and turn them into audibles or how can, so I thought like other people are doing this. So clearly right. this exists for people. Um, and so I started researching. I did a lot of that, a lot of, 
audible um, reading of material while driving. So I just tried to figure out like different ways to be efficient during um, during my mothering as well. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of help with like packing boxes, stuffing envelopes, like, all right, kids, Christmas letter to donor day. We're going to all sit around the house and I'm going to get put on this great movie and I'll give you this great dinner if we can help stuff all these envelopes tonight, right? And so just you you do what you can in the beginning. It's all hands on deck. That's good though. I think it instills a work ethic in children, which I feel is lacking in a lot of the younger generation today. That's how I was raised. My dad would take us to work. We would do things with him and, you know, measly five bucks an hour, but you know, when you're nine, it's, it is what it is. But... Hey, it's way more than I'm paying mine. So right? <laughs> I paid him with pizza. <laughs> well, I mean, it works the same. Yeah. Um, so that kind of answers my next question then about uh, your children getting involved in your work. Uh, do your daughters, especially as girls, have an understanding of what you went through? You know, it's all varying based on their age because it's, you know, they're little and you don't want to, you know, there's so, only so much you can share right. um, that's age appropriate with this right. topic. It's harder. My oldest... Um, she has volunteered or worked, I should say, she worked as a paid intern during her high school and college years, which really helped on her resume um, to have interned at an anti-human trafficking organization. Um, right. So in terms of involvement, we went all the way from, you know, my five-year-old stuffing envelopes for a pizza party to my 20-year-old doing a summer paid internship. So yes, my kids have been involved. Um, they've helped file things and set up offices and, you know, do all sorts of stuff and they've they've enjoyed it and more than anything my oldest she's also shared in lots of college essays how watching a grassroots nonprofit startup has really impacted some of her career choices um like she's in the she's gone, going more into like the financial industry and so looking at social impact investing and what does that look like from a, a larger scale because she saw what it was like as a grassroots org to try to to grow so fast you can't keep up you can't figure out how to raise money fast enough for the need and and watching me go through that and two times of burnout caused her to say how do we help people get funding and how do we help the grassroots nonprofits that are serving in our communities how do we help them and it's almost like at christmas season where you say shop local you know shop mom and pop don't just shop at your local amazon and walmart it's the same idea it's like how are we helping the mom and pop nonprofit in your community because they really need your help. And most of them are doing really, really good work because they really genuinely care about, about people and about your community being safe. Um, so anyway, that was kind of, I know a rabbit trail on that. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, what was your original question? I'm so sorry. No, no. About your daughter's understanding about what you went through and what it is that you do. You did say that it is kind of geared to their age. Um, yeah. Appropriate. So we do. I, I kind of have a little thing that we do based on whether it's elementary, middle or high school, uh, different ways that we talk about exploit human trafficking. And I'd say high school slash college. Um, with elementary, I think the main important thing to know for parents and that we ta we taught our kids was um, really just about healthy boundaries, right? Good touch, bad touch, good picture, bad picture, that kind of thing, because you really don't know about trafficking at that age. It's very rare. Right. Trafficking at that age is is not as common as as um, 
child abuse, child sexual abuse and other forms. Um, trafficking is only when there's an exchange of money. So child, child abuse, child sex abuse specifically, it's not all trafficking. There has to be an exchange of money for it to be the crime of trafficking. But needless to say, you want all your kids to be safe regardless of the type of crime, right? So right. I don't care if money was exchanged or not. I want my kid to know what to do if they feel uncomfortable. If someone shows them a bad picture, I want them to feel safe to come to me. Um, and so that type of discussion is much is much more important i think at that age is we've got to not just worry about a trafficking talk but just a how do we keep kids safe with their own personal space talk um and create an environment of communication that's open so they don't feel uncomfortable coming to you um, i had one of my daughters spell it to me once when a kid at school uh, her friend told her that her brother was showing her pictures when her brother would babysit and my daughter wanted to spell it out for me because she didn't, she was embarrassed to say it. And that was really eye-opening for me as a watching as a mom, my daughter not even want to say it, um, but that she was okay spelling it. And you think about that as little brains, like how are they going to be okay talking about a really uncomfortable issue? And are we giving them ideas that might work for them? Then when it gets to middle school, I would say gaming is a really big deal. Um, most predators are going to be on gaming sites gaming sites have been really great about ensuring there's no exchange of pictures in messaging but because of that um, predators know that and so they're going to try to get your child to switch to talk on a different app and so that's kind of what we call our white minivan talk where i say hey it's not just about stranger danger if someone offers you puppy and a candy from a white minivan now if someone says let's chat on a different app that is a scream and yell and run for your mom moment. That is a white minivan moment because kids are gonna chat. They're not, it's not a big deal. The only reason why you would leave that chatting device is because you're gonna to wanna to exchange a photo. That is the only reason that you would wanna leave that chatting app. So we use that as a training um, moment for our kids. And then when it gets to high school, it's all about social media and parties, whether it's high school or college, um, you know, people are gonna to pretend to be people they're not. Uh, we we've even used with the younger kids, we've used the, the movie Frozen, right? Hans pretended to be someone he was not in order to get to Anna. He fast tracked the relationship. He <laughs> he did all these things um, to isolate her and to speed up the love and the, the love bombing and the connection. And so we use some of those analogies, um, but really social media and um, and teaching my oldest in high school and college what to do when your boundaries were simply tested. You know, you're at a party, you're there with a friend, your friend gave you the ride and she's talking to someone she likes. And so you don't want to be the burden to leave, but there's an older man that's making you real uncomfortable. Maybe he's getting too close or he's touching your leg too much. Are we even having conversations around like, how do you get out of situations? Do you have an, is the, is a ride app downloaded, updated credit card on file for your child? to be able to leave any situation they're at at any time, is it? Have you talked to them about like, what could I say to get out of a conversation? So they're not sitting there like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? But you could say, oh my gosh, I forgot I have this thing that I was supposed to do tonight. I'm gonna call an Uber, it's fine, I'll see you later. Have you even had the conversation around like, what do you say to get out of the room? So little things like that, because traffickers are really good at starting slow. They will groom you for a long time. It is not, stranger danger. 
And so we want to start pulling that line back much sooner and teach kids what to do when your boundaries are simply tested the first time. Let's not wait six months till they're now in love with a trafficker and he's a con artist and he's convincing them to run away with them. Let's start way sooner when it's like, what if someone tells you you're pretty on Snapchat? What do you do then? And, and how does that make you feel? And what, what are some red flags you can look for when it might be someone dangerous? Um, all of those conversations are what are gonna protect our kids, whether the predator's intent is trafficking or otherwise, it's still helpful to keep your kids safe. Now, do you feel after all your years of doing this, there is a lack of education in the school systems regarding this and in showing our kids what to watch for? You know, I don't, I don't know that it's a lack of education in our schools. There's a lot of prevention curriculum out there. There's a website called nesteducators.org that lists dozens of anti-trafficking prevention curriculum. Do, do schools get it in the school system? That's a much harder um, thing to do. And it's not because schools don't want it to or that parents aren't okay with it. I don't see that as the case. I see it as a lack of time, right? Like we have, we have a certain number of state required content that has to be taught to our children to graduate that grade level that's the mm -hmm. truth and so what do you take out to fit it in that becomes the harder topic or do you make it elective or do you make it an assembly and so getting a principal and or a superintendent interested in this type of prevention topic and being creative in ways um, to lean on juvenile justice grants to be able to offer a free Saturday or an assembly that's age appropriate. Um, that takes someone kind of championing that effort in your city. And, and so if, if that's something someone's interested in, please visit that website, nesteducators.org. We also have an e-course online called Find Your Lane. We do a whole entire section on prevention, how to get into schools, how to talk to superintendents, what options for different states are going to look like. It's, it's like a $19 class. It offers 10 different ways and prevention is just one. And so we have 10 small courses on how to get in in these 10 different ways. Um, so yeah, those are, those are something all on its own that can be its entire own company. If you wanted to start a prevention nonprofit and get into your state, there you go. There's the blueprint to do it. <laughs> <laughs> now we are just about to wrap up here. I have two not offhanded questions for you, but um, what's the best piece of advice you were given when starting your organization? Oh, were you given any since, you know, you kind of, I don't want to say fell into this, but had a niche already. Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of my best pieces of advice was um, the only difference between a nonprofit and a for-profit is who keeps the money. <laughs> That's it. And, and yeah, I mean, there's a tax structure that helps the donor. But for me as the CEO, the only difference when running this company is who is where the profit, who keeps the profit. At the end of the day, I don't keep the profit. If I want to leave, this isn't like Starbucks where I get to leave with everything I've raised, right? right. This, the money stays with the mission and, and the board controls who's going to be the CEO. Um, and but at the end of the day, we can we can sell merchandise, we can offer services, we can charge for consulting, we can get grants, we can do fundraising events, we can take donors, we can get monthly partners, we can get corporate partners. We get to do all these things to help really move the needle forward with our mission that any for-profit could do and more. And so um, that's really helpful, I think, for people that are interested in nonprofits because they think, 
they won't make a profit. You're like, no, you should be making a profit. You should have three months of reserves. It's hard to hire good talent if you're not going to be able to pay them a competitive wage in this, in our world today. And if you can't have any job security, how are you going to procure talent? So, um, yeah, it's no different. For-profit, non-profit, same thing, just who keeps the money. Obviously, that's a really simplified piece of advice <laughs> that's much more nuanced. Right. But I think that, that the, the, the catchphrase quote, although oversimplified, catches the intent of the message that you can still do a lot with nonprofits, and that you should run your business still the same. Right. And uh, I want you to finish the sentence for me. All I want for Christmas is... This is hard. These are hard. <laughs> All I want for Christmas is plane tickets. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I have so many things and people I want to go see and do. It's like, how do you, how do you fit it all in? Um, yeah. And that post-COVID cost increase, let me tell you. My sister's flying in from Dallas today, actually. Wow. And um, i booking it for her last night. It's like, oh, that's a great price. And then, you know, they get you with the carry-on and they get you with the check bag. And next thing you know, you're 200 bucks more. But anyways, I digress. I feel totally. you on that plane ticket. Yes. And not only post-COVID, but then the gas prices that went up, it was like tickets were insane for a while. Yeah. I thought, we're not going anywhere. Zoom Christmas it is. Because... Right? <laughs> well, Rebecca, it has been so great talking to you today. It's been like a mini lesson in trafficking. And like she said, everybody, get the book. Um, there's more than one. I saw it on your website. There's a few, right? Or is it a book well, in my... an e-course? Yeah, well, I have my, my memoir about human trafficking is called In Pursuit of Love. It's my memoir. It's my personal story. That's what um, we're using for, for some of our, you know, entertainment stuff. And then I have a Bible study that's out and I have a workbook for survivors that we use in our school. So those are probably what you see online. Um, but then we do have e-courses, Find Your Lane, How to Identify the Varying Ways to Fight Trafficking if you're interested. Um, and we have a Mythbusters um, e-course as well, just a, a really short campaign on breaking some of these myths about kidnapping that exist and, and helping giving people really the facts, um, which is also, again, small shameless plug, but my most recent um, TED Talk is on is kind of breaking the myths on trafficking. So it's a big soapbox for us. There we go. I did see that. So that was your first TED Talk? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, like I, get, I said, it's been great talking to you today. We have learned so much. I will have all of Rebecca's information up, her website, all about her organizations, where you can find her. Um, another shameless plug, all the links for her courses and books. And with it being the holiday season, feel free to donate. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. This was really fun. I don't get to talk about business much. So I know I fire hosed. Oops, I dropped my phone. I know I fire hosed so much information. I don't normally talk this much or this fast. I promise. I just, it is like, oh, I get to talk about business. Oh, wait, there's this whole mission of trafficking too. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Thanks for letting me have the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome.